Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. We are in a series looking at the book of Ruth and our title for the series is Challenges, Choices and God's Great Providence. Challenges, Choices and God's Great Providence. And I think just before we, we get started, I, need, I know I need to apologize just for my scary, unkept appearance. It's like I'm, tr- I'm trying, to, it's, it's trying to grow a beard. It's, it's November. It's, it's a new season in my life. It's fir- first time I've ever, ever attempted to do this. And it's not surprising since I only started shaving when I was 30. But, but how, many, how many of you have ever, ever had, you know, it's like I'm having a bad beard day. How many of you have ever had a bad hair day? Bad beard day? Okay, we've had some bad beard days. A bad hair day, you know what I'm saying? Or not even just, not even just a bad day, but a bad week or a bad month. You know what I'm saying, or a bad year, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait, you know, for the end of next month to come so I can look, so I can, I can, I can see the back of 2014. You know what I mean? How many of you know, <laughs> I said, amen, amen, my sister. You know what I'm How many of you know that, that we go through seasons, don't we? Different seasons in our lives. And whether me growing a beard is one, or you going through a difficult time, we go through these seasons. And have you ever experienced going through such a bad time, but then at a certain point where it's been real dark, it's been real deep, it's been real lonely, but you get to this point where all of a sudden you begin to see a glimmer of hope. You begin to see things starting to turn around and things just gradually just begin to get better. And, 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 and sometimes it's gradual, but sometimes in a moment, in a, all of a sudden, everything can change. Now, I heard a lot of people say, boy, yeah, amen, at the difficult part, but I didn't hear much people say amen to the turnaround part. I don't know, it's like we don't believe it can happen. But it can get that dark that you feel that way, right? Today we're going to be talking about The dawn of a brand new day. Let's pray. Father, thank you that regardless of what we've been through, what we're going through, or what we will eventually have to deal with at some point in our lives, we thank you that we have the great hope of a wonderful future. And not because we believe in happenstance. Not just because... We're hoping against hope, but we know that as we put our trust in you, the everlasting God, that we have hope and a wonderful hope for the future. Would you encourage our hearts to that end, even today, regardless of where we may be, 
Prepare us for difficult times, Lord. Console us during our difficult times. And remind us of how you got us out of those difficult times in times past. And help us to always remember, Lord, that you are ever-present. As the lady spoke about last, last night, Lord, you are the God who is om, you're omni, you're, you're, you're omnipresent, you're omniscient. That means you're all-knowing and, and you're all-powerful. Help us to remember that as we consider Ruth chapter 2 today. The dawn of a brand new day. Help us, we ask, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So by way of recap, last week, we saw that hard times have fallen upon this mixed heritage, this mixed heritage, Israelite slash Moabite blended family. Initially, there was an economic recession, right? There was a famine, among God's people, which results in a massive international relocation from Judah to where? Come on now, you've got to help me now. Can't make me do all the work up here. Maybe you guys ain't listening, I'll repeat it. We see a massive international relocation from Judah to where? To Moab. Then we see an ungodly marriage of the only two sons in this family, to foreign women. And within a short space of time, we see a terrible triple death take place. Dad dies. What's his name? Elimelech. And his two sons, Marlon and Killian, both die. Which leaves mum, Naomi, with the responsibility of two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And it's like one blow after another blow after another blow, and it leaves Naomi distraught, distressed, disturbed, and dissatisfied. Anyone know that feeling? She says at the end of chapter 1, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. I had my husband and my two sons. And the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Blow after blow after blow has left Naomi battered, bruised, bitter, And blind. No doubt she's had a rough time. But in the the midst of her misery, she failed to see God's mercy. She failed to see the light in the midst of dark days. Remember last week. Naomi's narrow, short-sighted view of her life failed to see God's wonderful providence. And that in who? Not in who she'd lost, but in Ruth, who was now with her. But as we move into chapter 2, Naomi will begin to, say, to, to see the dawn break. Even as I look around the room, I, I can see there are certain individuals who've experienced that. Real dark times, and then they've seen the break of dawn and the sun slowly rising on the horizon. So, hopefully you've turned to to, to Ruth. Look at chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter. 
Now, as I attempt to read this, where's Millie? Can I just say, I've been so encouraged by just the texts and emails and just conversations that we've had where um, some of you have really just encouraged my heart as we've been going through the book. I say as we've been going through, it's only been one, one week, it's only been one chapter. But I've just been really encouraged by your messages. Thank you very much. It's, it's a real um, encouragement. It's, it's such a challenge to stand up and try to represent God's word faithfully. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a mean task, um, not in a bad sense, in a, in a challenging sense. And so I just really want to thank you for your comments. I think that a few have said that it would be nice if maybe we took some more time in the book of Ruth. And you have to forgive us in a sense because partly what we've done is we have a schedule that we're trying to keep to. And this actually is a special Christmas series. And you'll see why in a few weeks' time. But forgive us if it seems like we're rushing through the book. Let me encourage you to join us on a Thursday night at Community Group where we actually take the things that we've considered so much further and um, you get a lot more than you do just right here on a Sunday morning, amen? So, you're in Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman, he said, whose young woman is this? And a servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, that you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. 
when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi, Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these, with these young women, lest in another field you be assorted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. <clears throat> Verse 1. <clears throat> now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This week, in steps another major human character in this book, Boaz. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about him later. Now, verse 1 is a comment from the narrator. Wow. Verse 1 is a comment from the narrator, and it's a very, very helpful statement. This is to help us to understand something that Ruth doesn't, but Naomi does, being Jewish. And it helps for us to know something significant about this as we watch the story unfold. It's like a little sneak peek into what's going to happen. And what is it that the narrator wants us to know? It's that Boaz is related to Elimelech. That's Naomi's husband that died back in chapter 1. Hence, is related to Elimelech's son, Marlon, who was married to Ruth. Now, remember, Elimelech originally decided to, to take his family and leave Bethlehem and immigrate to Moab. I didn't have time to do this last week, and it's probably not very helpful this week, depending on where you're sitting. But here's a map of Moab and Israel at this particular time. And Moab, if you can see, is at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Moab is not in Israel. Can you see that? Right? It's not in Israel. 
And one of the things that we need to, to bear in mind is, as we go through the whole Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is that you will always see, um, you always need to look at it from, from, from three perspectives. Who are God's people? Where is God's place? And what is God's rule? Because often you'll find that God's people are, are sometimes in God's place, but they're not under God's rule which is exactly where we find ourselves here coming out of the book of Judges, right? Because in the book of Judges, there was no king and everybody did what? That which was right in their own heart, in their own eyes. So they are God's people and they're living in God's place right on the, on the west side of the Jordan in Israel and just on the other side as well. And, <clears throat> but they're God's people in God's place, but they are not under God's rule. And that's really important to consider so when Elimelech leaves God's place as God's person and he moves into Moab, he is God's people, but how many of you know he's not in God's place and he ain't to some degree under God's rule? And it's important to understand that. So his family left Judah, Bethlehem. Again, I'm not sure if you can see. It's just on the left-hand side of the Dead Sea. They left there and <clears throat> they traveled southeast to Moab. Now, we aren't sure why Elimelech left because the Bible isn't explicit, but it would be fair to say it was possibly because of the famine that had hit Bethlehem. And remember what we said last week, <clears throat> what may have seemed like a throwaway comment at the time, in leaving Bethlehem, Elimelech Lost all of his land and his property. Now, why do I keep repeating this? Well, I'm not going to tell you why specifically, but I will give you a clue because Pastor E will give you the punchline in the coming weeks. But watch, not only is Naomi going to get back what her husband forfeited, she's going to get back a whole lot more. Now, you might think, oh, Robert, man, you went and spoiled the surprise. No. The narrator spoiled the surprise. Verse 1, right? He did this on purpose. And that's to give us a heads up as we're reading. Now, consider this. Have a look at... Oh, that, oh sorry. I was supposed to show you the arrow to show you where Moab was. There we go. Now you know, right? Have a look at this family tree, because this is partly what the narrator is trying to help us to understand. Now watch this. This is bonkers. Remember, Elimelech married Naomi, right, back in Bethlehem, left Bethlehem with their two sons, Marlon and Kilion. Kilion had got married to Orpah, and Marlon had got married to Ruth. Now, obviously, the problem was Elimelech died. Kilion died. I don't know if you can see me Xing it out there. And Marlon dies. But in the midst of dark days, something wonderful is happening. Because our narrator wants us to understand that in the process of this bad news is some amazingly good news. Because look where this new character who comes in chapter 2 Look who and how he's related to Elimelech. 
he's from the tribe of Judah, which is the same tribe that Elimelech is from. Boaz comes from the same tribe as Elimelech, which means that under a special Jewish law called Leverite marriage, there is potential for Naomi to get her husband's land back. See, if a, a woman's husband died, and Leverite, I used to think, made reference to, to Leviticus, because like, it sounds the same, but it's not. Leverite really is, is more to do with when a husband dies, his brother is supposed to take over his position in order to see his seed, his brother's dead seed, continue. And... Again, without trying to over-explain it, because it's going to come up again. Let's just appreciate the fact that there's potentially something going on here in the background. That at this point, Naomi doesn't know. And Ruth ain't got a clue about. But the narrator wants us to know. Now, uh, next time you see a narrator's comment in the Bible, don't overlook it. Now, armed with this understanding, let's walk through chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite, stop. Ruth the what? The Moabite. The Bible, or should I say the Holy Spirit, who is the executive author of the Bible, wants, wants us to be reminded that this woman is an outsider. Yet she constantly acts like an insider, while insiders act like outsiders. Look at how Elimelech acted in chapter 1, right? Trying to take care of his family, granted, but he left God's place. Look at how Naomi acts in chapter 1. Faithful to her husband, faithful to her daughters-in-law, but exceedingly bitter to extract from the text specifically. And understandably so because of what she went through, right? But... She's also quick to blame God for her misfortune and she's unable to see God's hand of providence because she's blinded by her bitterness. Oprah, or should I say Oprah, acted like a normal Moabite, <laughs> going back to her land and to her gods. Nothing unusual there for a Moabite. But Ruth, wow. Wow. She's the most godly of the whole bunch. Yet, she is a what? She's a Moabite. The narrator wants you to know that there's something special about Ruth. And it's glaringly obvious. Can you see the two things as we look at Ruth's attitude as we come to verse 2? And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi... Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Two things. Ruth is more than willing to work. And that in a job that pays less than minimum wage. Two, she has a very optimistic outlook. On her first day of job hunting, she has an amazingly positive attitude, trusting that wherever she goes, she's going to find work. Can you see that? She has a good work ethic and a perky, positive personality. 
Ruth puts many of us to shame. Naomi responds, and she said to her, go, my daughter. She gives her license to go and find work. At this point, neither of these ladies know just what is waiting for them. Just what is waiting for them just around the corner. Now, here comes our friend and narrator again. Listen for his excitement in verse 3, if you've got your Bible open in front of you. So, so Ruth, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Hey. Who was of the clan of Elimelech? Hey. Now, that's no surprise to us. We know that. But can you see the impact of her not knowing this? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to, who was of the clan. Can you hear the voice of the narrator? And he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. The same place that Naomi is from, the same place that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, is from, he is family. And close family at that. He is what is known as a near kinsman or a goel. That's a family member with the ability to redeem everything that has been lost. In those days, when you had a piece of land or or property in Israel, you could never sell, what do we call it? You know when you buy a house, it's either leasehold or free. You could never sell the freehold completely, totally. You could, but in a certain amount of time, that would, would come back to you and your family. You know what I'm saying? It was like everything was like lease. You know what I mean? And, and that's why in the Old Testament, genealogies were so vitally important. See, this family member, through this, through this law of Leverite marriage will eventually, possibly, <laughs> be a family member that will see everything redeemed back to Ruth. And verse 3, sorry, back to Naomi and Ruth. Verse 3, Ruth just happened to come to that part of the field. Again, as we said last week, is this coincidence? Is this Ruth... A clever clairvoyant making incredibly choice choices? Or can we deny that this is God working powerfully, providentially, sovereignly? See, there's, a, there's an old Jewish saying, and it's coincidence is not a kosher word. In other words, there's no such thing as coincidence. Didn't you hear Naomi? Didn't you hear Naomi last week say that it was virtually impossible for Ruth to find a husband? Remember that? If you listen to what she says carefully, she seemed to be depending on her own ability to provide a husband for Ruth. Completely neglecting God's ability to find a husband for Ruth. And we do the same thing all the time, don't we? We lean on our own understanding and not acknowledge God, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Well, something miraculous is going on here. Neither Ruth or Naomi, notice, 
They don't understand. They don't know what's going on yet. But, and, and, and let me add, neither Ruth or Naomi are out here looking for a man. But watch God's providence. Up steps Bosi, burly, bronzed Boaz. Hey. Now, Bosi, no, I don't think he's Bosi. Burly, I'm not sure because we don't know what he looks like. Bronzed, again, don't know what he looks like, but possibly because of that particular part of the world where he came from, right? You know, sun shines a lot over that side. And this guy, to say he is a catch is an understatement. I mean, he's working. Hey, don't matter what he looks like. You get me? Don't matter what color he is or what star sign he is, he's working. Not only is he working, he's actually running his own business. And, more importantly, he's godly. Listen to this guy partway into verse 4. And he said to the reapers, Boaz, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Wow. Imagine hearing that from your boss. Like when you walk into the office tomorrow morning. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, right, one of his workers, who's... Whose young woman is this, says Boaz. Notice, he doesn't say who is she. He says, whose is she? (laughs) I don't know. Verse 6. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers. Notice, the servant. You have to follow with me, right? The, 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 The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, Huh. She is the young what? Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from where the country of Moab like what on earth are you look what you what are you thinking here it is again Ruth the Moabite see she's not one of us she she shouldn't be here she's in the wrong place but at the right time <laughs> hey amen I interpret that as she's in the wrong place, but at the right time. Watch this manager give Ruth a glowing verbal reference. Notice, verse 7 is still the voice of the field manager who is still in mid-sentence responding to his boss, Boaz. He says, she said, quoting Ruth, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Notice, Ruth is polite. She says, please. Ruth is humble. She doesn't expect to be able to come into a a full-time job position at a high senior level. She's happy to start at the bottom, below even the reapers as a gleaner. A gleaner is someone who gathers up the leftovers once the main harvest is gathered. Seen in Israel, in Israel there was a law called the law of gleaning. The law of gleaning. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, it says, God says to his people, when you reap the harvest of your land, Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Beautiful. This is amazing. It's provision for the poor, but notice, not at the exclusion of work. Hmm. This is a benefit system that means the poor are provided for, but they got to work. <laughs> no sitting at home watching daytime television and possibly abusing the system, right? This is social, wa- this is social welfare on steroids. And by the way, companies that want to squeeze every single penny in profit without giving to the poor, shame on you. Can you see from verse 7 that Ruth is a hard worker, working long shifts with only a short break? Hey, without complaining. Ruth is a lowly, poor, yet polite, humble, hard-working foreigner. I could possibly say something here about overseas immigration in the UK, but I won't. Verse 8. Boaz is, Boaz is very impressed with Ruth. Very impressed with Ruth, the Moabite. And who wouldn't be? Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, hmm, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. She's quality, and he can see that. I mean, he's probably a shrewd businessman. You know what I mean? It says, but keep close to my young women, let, verse 9, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. These young women, especially foreign young women, were very vulnerable, poor disenfranchised and at risk of being disrespected, Boaz says, not only will the young men not touch you, they will serve you. Now there's a lesson in there for our young men. Not only will the young men not touch you, they will serve you. Keep your hands off the young ladies. Fellas, furthermore, you should be protecting and serving them. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face. This is Ruth. Bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? Well, we know why. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? We know why. Since I'm a foreigner. See, she knows how this works. That culturally, she's the dregs of society. Foreigners are regularly treated with disdain, even today. Ain't nothing new, and ain't nothing changed in over 3,000 years. People treat foreigners badly, and especially female foreigners, who are the underclass in this part of the world at that time. But as we've seen... Boaz is cut from a different cloth. By the way, the name Boaz, oh my goodness, 
Remember last week we looked at the list of each of the different individuals in the, who make up the character of this book? Guess what Boaz means? Boaz, huh, I thought I'd drop it in like that, you know. <laughs> Bam! Why? I drop it in like that because Boaz means strength, life, energy, and vigor. I mean, he's actually the opposite of Ruth's late husband's name. Marlon, look at Marlon. (laughs) Marlon meant sickly, man of weakness. Boaz means in him is strength. And and we'll see specifically later on that that Boaz is is actually a picture of who we mentioned that this book is all about. He hasn't been born yet. But it's because of what takes place in this book that contributes to the birth of the Lord Jesus. That's why this is a run-up to our Christmas message. Ruth's late husband is gone. Could God, in his providence, be divinely matchmaking at this point? Anyway, at this point, Ruth can't believe that she's got a job. <laughs> she even, she doesn't, remember, she doesn't know what we know. At this point, Ruth is just, she's just happy that she's got a job. <laughs> Let alone a, a wealthy, godly Good-looking in terms of his character. Remember we done a couple of weeks ago, good-looking Christian men. Ain't nothing about your height or your color or your figure or your physique. She can't believe that she's found a job and also a wealthy, godly, good-looking man has noticed her. Now let this be an encouragement to our single ladies, right? Regardless of of your circumstances, and also not just the single ladies, but also the single men. You're not in a place that's worse than Ruth's. And God was able to meet her need and provide. And notice I say her need. Often we want our wants, we want our wants. That's what we want met. But Matthew 6 33. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you, right? Now, all things meaning everything that you need, not necessarily everything that you want. You know what I mean? And we we see here that God was able to meet her need even though she was in a desperate place. And he was able to provide for her. And the thing is, She wasn't even looking for it. She was just going about her own business, trusting in God. We saw that back in chapter one. She can't believe she's found favor. That she'd be, that, that, notice, check it, that she'd be noticed and she never had no makeup on. It's like, maybe it's Maybelline. No, it's not Maybelline. Right? I mean, as a woman, you would never want a man to see you in this state. I mean, where is she? 
I know that's true. Oh my gosh. Like, it's, what's, that, what's that makeup that I see? Where's my wife? On, this, it's like every time I see this channel come on telly at my house, they're selling this. this what's, that, what's that stuff? That brush stuff that you put on your. Sheer. But what's the name of the make? Who? Sheer cover. I don't know if that's, that's not the name that I remember. It's the make of the brand. It's not Mac. Is it Mac? Mac. That's it. Hey, how did you know? How did, how did Danny know? <laughs> Mummy uses it. All right. You're hooking her up for Christmas, isn't it? That's what it is. Early Christmas present. Amen, man. But it's like she's out in the field for crying out loud. I mean, she's looking nasty, probably. You know what I mean? I mean, and you know, it's, it's, like, it's not like we're here today. You're at work and you're working all day and you know you're putting in a shift. So you just bring a change of clothes and you have a shower. This ain't that. <laughs> I mean, she probably couldn't have looked as good as, as we could, you know what I'm saying? Even in the best of, even if she tried to get herself together in the morning. And I'm saying, and I'm saying, but what, now the reason I'm, 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 I'm pushing this quite far is because it shows that, you know, God is the one, stop laughing, Judith. <laughs> God is the one who is able to turn the heart of a man or a woman. You know what I mean? Thank, amen. You see, God can turn. God can turn the worst situation around in a moment. And we can work hard and we can make, try to make things happen and try to create opportunities. And we can do all of that and not effectively get very far. You know what I mean? But God, in a moment, like in a twinkling of an eye, <laughs> can change someone's heart. He can do it. And if he changes the heart, then... We don't have to be working at changing the heart or keeping the heart changed. God, and, and obviously I'm speaking particularly about relationships and, but not just relationships in terms of trying to, you know, whether you're a guy trying to get a girl's eye or whether a young lady really sees a guy that she likes. Rather than looking out horizontally, you know what I'm saying, we need to look vertically. We need to look at the Lord. And often it's not even just about What the person looks like is really more about, about what, what, what I look like, what you look like, and not that physically. It's about our character, and we're going to see that in a moment. But be encouraged that God can do what we can't do, and, and we must trust that. And <clears throat> God can turn around, apart from relationships, situations and circumstances that we are trying to change and manipulate and God can turn situations around in a moment by his grace. And, and let me tell you something. God rewards what? Faith. Who said faith? You're absolutely right. Faith. And faith is synonymous with faithfulness. 
You know what I'm saying? Faith is trusting, isn't it? But as you trust, you respond in a way that you wouldn't if you didn't trust. You know what I'm saying? And God rewards, not works in the sense that we do something and God's got to do something for us. No, no, no. There is the, 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 the issue of sowing and reaping, but with regards to God rewards faithfulness. Listen to Hebrews 11 verse 6, a, a, a verse that we know quite well. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. That is God. For whoever would draw near to God must, must believe that he exists and that he rewards. And he rewards those who seek him. This is clearly descriptive of Ruth, isn't it? Because we heard about her commitment verbally to the God of Israel in chapter 1. She has a commitment to him. Which is unreasonable being a Moabite. Completely in contrast to Oprah. 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 <laughs> this is clearly descriptive of Ruth. Listen to Boab's, Boaz's response to her in verse 11. But Boaz answered her. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. I know all about you, Ruth, and how you left your father and mother. You left your native land, that which you were accustomed to, familiar with, and you came to a people that you did not know before. You were an outsider, and you've come to join with God's insiders. Verse 12, and the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see her trust and where it lies? The Lord rewards faith. We can be encouraged. And we can be encouraged that our faith is seen as we take refuge under God's protection and his provision, and we look to his providence. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. It's like, she's not sure. She, she's not, I'm a servant, I'm not a servant. You're treating me like a servant, but... See, but she doesn't want to presume in his goodness. Ruth is nice. She's beautiful. And I can say that without even knowing what she looks like physically. She, had, she, she has beautiful character features. She's actually stunning internally. And it's obvious that that is what Boaz is attracted to. There's much for us to learn from here. What are you looking for in a spouse? If the fundamental thing isn't godly character, you don't know what you're looking for. Now notice Naomi hasn't made any advances, excuse me, Ruth hasn't made any advances to Boaz. Have you noticed? She hasn't made 
She hasn't made any moves on her brother. But Boaz is a man's man out here. He's a godly man, and he begins to show interest, and notice, it's public, not private. It's public, not private shows of affection. Hey, verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. (laughs) Now, it doesn't say come here over to my place, right? He says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Now, briefly, this should remind you of someone in the New Testament who gave those closest to him bread And wine. Boaz is one of the main human characters of this book, but even Boaz is overshadowed by the superhuman character that Boaz himself portrays, which is Jesus, the one who became our near kinsman, and you hear more about that next week. So he gives her bread and wine. Notice. He doesn't invite her to cuddle up next to him. Look where she sits. So she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain publicly. Subtle yet significant signs of his intentions. Hey, you can only begin to imagine what the other girls begin to say. Like, wait a minute. Who, who, who is this bleep 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 young girl coming around here? This Moabite. Who, who is? I don't. Know. Obviously, that's that's conjecture. <laughs> but you're feeling me. She, he's there passing her roasted grain like, and she ate. Look until she was satisfied. Till she had so much, she, she had so much she couldn't even eat it. Can you imagine Boaz and her canoodling, and everybody looking like like they're having a nice time? Now, I wonder how Ruth feels. That's, we can look about how the, on, the onlookers are feeling, right? But how does Ruth feel at this moment? Because it doesn't even stop there. Verse fifteen: When she rose to glean. This is like after the break time, if you like. Boaz instructed his young men saying, listen, (laughs) let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. It's like he's telling them not to do their job. They're supposed to reproach anyone who... Grace. Great. For a foreigner. An outsider. He even contradicts his own rules, his own laws, as it were. Hey, Pastor E last Thursday night in community group. Jeez. Verse 16, and also, he says, pull out some from the butt. If that ain't enough, here's more. It's like, it's not just grace, it's abundant grace. He says, pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her, not for everybody else, for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. Wow. She said it. Favor. Now, apart from what the other girls are saying, what do you think all of the workers and the managers are thinking at this point? Like, wait a minute. It's coming like Boaz has lost his... Like, our boss, Boaz, has lost his mind. It's like, hmm, you know why, innit? Yeah, I know why. 
It's that little thing in it, that little Moabite thing. Yeah, make my man lose his mind out here. I'm just suggesting that maybe that's what they might be saying. Where are we? Do not rebuke her, he says. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Wow. It weren't it. <laughs> then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. This, what she beats out, <laughs> is actually more than she can carry. And somehow, verse 18, she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And now she probably stands there with her mouth wide open like, what? It says, she also brought out on top of that and gave Naomi what food she had left over after being set. So here's all the, it's like an abundance of provision. Now, you think, that, you, know, you think that's it. Look, more shock and surprise. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where on earth did you, like, what happened to you today at the office? Like, where did you, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. What, by coincidence? Was it because... On that particular day, Ruth determined that this is the best place for me to go after working and navigating. I don't know. Who, who, who is it that phones you up and, and, gives, and tells you where to go and work if you're a part-time worker? Agent, yeah, because of the agency. Is it the agency who phoned her up and told her to go and work in this field? I don't think so. Naomi's like, what? How? Like, how? How? Blessed is that. And the thing is, Naomi don't know the half. Because remember, Naomi doesn't know what we know, what the narrator told us at the beginning. At this point, but watch. <clears throat> so, she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And all of a sudden, all of the lights come on. Can't remember, Naomi's in a dark place, right? She's bitter. And she's come back home. It even seems as if it's against her, her will. Because as she comes back, it's like, all of the women, oh, here comes Naomi. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Don't chat to me. You know what? Call me, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasantness. Mara means bitterness. Don't, even, don't talk to me. Don't, don't call my name. Does that sound like someone who's happy to be home? See, but now, all of a sudden, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, like, wait a minute. Where, who, like, where, who? What did you, what did you just say? Like, Ruth, what did you just say? Boaz! Naomi now sees a shaft of light in terms of the turning of the tide, the turning of her season. Now, we saw it coming, didn't we? May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Oh, Naomi, you're realizing that God doesn't just allow difficulty to come in your life and bitterness, but blessing, it's all good. 
Because I know that I'm just like Naomi. I'm even looking at you. I know I'm just like Naomi. You know what I mean? Quick to jump to conclusions. Quick to think I understand what this means. Quick to, to, figure, to think I know what, what, what this is, the implications are. Now, Naomi has a, a moment of clarity. She says, look, kindness for the living and also the dead. This is insight into the fact that Naomi now sees opportunity for her to get her yard back. (laughs) For her to get her property. She's like, what? (laughs) This is like, not on, look, I look at you, Ruth, look at you. Look, the blessing is evident. It's overspilling. We've got too much to eat now. It's like, oh my gosh. And not only, if that, ain't in, if that wasn't a blessing, we now have the, the potential of, what? And you know how property price is expensive out here? What? Naomi, said also, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. <laughs> One of our redeemers. And the thing is, Ruth hasn't got a clue what's going on. And forevermore, she's just happy to have a job. And to have some particular, personal, pure, and undefiled male attention. Verse 21, and, and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. In her mind, she's just thinking, work, i got a job. And not only that, this ain't just a part-time, zero-hours contract, right? They, that is her and Naomi, are going to be able to eat for a while and pay their bills. But Naomi is thinking on another level. And she just wants to encourage Ruth to stay put. Even by using scare tactics. Verse 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. (laughs) So keep close to the young, young women of Boaz. Partly out of fear, if her mother-in-law has anything to do with it, Naomi, Ruth is going to stay put in this job working for Boaz. Gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived, that is Ruth, with her mother-in-law. Notice verse 22 and 23, how is Ruth referred to? Unusually, with regards to the context of chapter 2, Ruth is no longer referred to as the Moabite. She is Naomi's daughter-in-law. She is now a member of the family. And we will see, it's all because of Boaz. We here today, I take it, are a room full of non-Jews. And we're just like Ruth. We're Gentiles. And we have no right... To be referred to as God's people. (laughs) 
by these standards, we're definitely not living in God's place, at least at that time, even though now there isn't a particular specific place. Jesus talks about, in, talks about that in John chapter 4. But imagine, because of who Boaz represents, we as Gentiles get the opportunity not to be known now as foreigners, but to be known as those who are also related to God as members of his family. And all because of whom Boaz represents, which is the Lord Jesus. Jesus became our kinsman. He became like us when he, when he became a man in order that he might be able to relate to us and be our kinsman redeemer. Now, you may not understand fully what that means. Pastor E will explain that forever next week. But suffice to say, Ephesians 2 talks about the the wall that separates sinners from a holy God. Moabites, as it were, excluded from the household of Israel. And because of the Lord Jesus, he came and broke down that middle wall of partition and became a bridge, as it were, in order to bring us back to God. The text says there are individuals in the world living without God. Yet God restores us to himself in beautiful relationship. On the basis of his good providence, not because of any good thing that we've done, apart from us expressing faith in him. Can I invite you to express faith in the Lord Jesus today? Can I invite you, like Ruth, to abandon your nationality, abandon your own ability to make life happen? Can I encourage you to abandon? Everything and anything that you might think, that we might think, is going to provide us with joy and happiness. And can I encourage you to embrace the Lord Jesus. You may have come here like Ruth and not had a clue about anything to do with the Bible and Leverite marriage and laws of gleaning. (laughs) If you didn't understand any of that, my prayer is that you would understand that all of this points to the opportunity for you to have your sins forgiven and come into a relationship with a God that ought not to accept you, ought not to accept me, but he does so on the basis of his grace. I'm going to invite um, the brothers to come up and sisters as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you in extraordinary ways through your word communicate intelligently, clearly, and impeccably your purpose of redemption. Your desire to restore people that are separated from you. And righteously so, that is separated because of our sinfulness. 
The Bible says not a whole life of sin, but just one sin is enough to separate us from you. And on the basis of us committing one sin, we deserve nothing less than execution. An eternal execution at that, without any more chances. Such is the seriousness of sin in your eyes. Yet, even, even though we've been living our lives, we might be... We might be 5, 15, 25, 55. Lord, living our lives completely oblivious to your reality. And and, and not just even oblivious, but anti your purposes. Lord, enemies of God. Yet you pursue us in such a gracious, loving, amazing way. And you grant us the opportunity through your providence. Lord, every single one of us that, is, that has put our trust in Christ, we look back and we know it wasn't because of our cleverness and it wasn't because we were smart and it wasn't because of any human means. It wasn't because of blood. It wasn't because of our parents. It, we've only come to know you because you revealed yourself to us. And Father, as you're revealing even this beautiful story of redemption in Ruth, as we journey through it, would you please help us to understand your, your providence on the basis of your great love? Would you please help us, Lord? Apart from you opening the eyes of our understanding, we, like Naomi, remain blind. Deliver us from bitterness on that basis, I pray. And help us to embrace your wonderful promise. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.